I'm excited because today we are finishing off the series of Finish the Race. Finish the Race. How many have enjoyed this series? Yeah, it's been amazing. And um, Pastor started it off, and then we had Brian Smith last week, and so it's been an amazing time, and I have the privilege of doing this. I'm getting situated right here, so have a little patience with me. Amen. Well, my dad was a, a Bible school teacher, and he taught at, it was called LEBI, which stood for Latin American Bible Institute, and out of La Puente. And so he was a Bible school teacher for many years. And he, during that, that year of schooling, there was always going to be a spiritual emphasis week. And that ran for one week. And what happened during spiritual emphasis week was that uh, they would bring in special speakers. And every night there would be a service and uh, missionaries and special speakers would come in. And they would just, their main purpose was for the students to seek after God. It was a whole week just dedicated to seeking after the presence of God. And, and so they would be praying all night. They would just be like, like, God, we want you. And, and what would happen was the Holy Spirit would just be poured out and they would experience amazing times with the Lord. And, and I, as a child, I could just, I could feel that. Even as a child, I could experience the presence of God in an amazing way. And so many of these students, they just went on to do great things for the kingdom of God. They became pastors. They went, became missionaries. They went throughout um, Latin America, um, South America, all parts of the world. And it was just amazing. But some stopped. Some fell out of the race. Some didn't continue on with the race. And even after experiencing such an amazing experiences with God, some fell out. How many of us, we know some people, some buddies that used to be in church, and they were on fire for God, but now they don't even attend church. We've experienced that. Experienced that. So not only do we want to start the race, we want to finish the race. And it doesn't matter how we start the race. We could start all tore up. We could start in a, a condition of coming to the Lord. And, but what matters is we finish the race. And I want to finish the race. I don't know about you, but I want to finish the race because when I needed a savior, Jesus came to my rescue. He was the one that lifted me up. He was the one that came when I, in my greatest need, when I called out to him, Jesus was the one who rescued me and I'm in love with him and I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to continue on because I know that he is a God who loves me and gave his life for me and I'm going to finish the race. So it sounds like you want to finish the race too, right? Am I in the right place? Is this the right crowd? All right. Come on. Now, in marathon running, one of the main things is it's considered a defeat if you don't finish the race. If you don't finish the race, that's what a defeat is. And... For those who sign up for the New York Marathon, it's going to be about um, 60,000 runners. But less than half, or a little over than half, will actually 
will actually appear that day at Staten Island to start. So even before the race, they have already quit. And those who do make it across the finish line, out of those, about 2,000 will drop out of the race. Now, I want us to know that this is a race. This is not only a race, it's a marathon. And Hebrews 12:2 says this, As for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like the clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that so we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. So we are running a race, but it's good for us to understand that this is not a short distance race. This is not a short distance race. This is a lifelong marathon. If we understand that this is a lifelong marathon, then we will be ready to go the distance. Now, let me give you a short history on marathons. It started back in 776 B.C., and it was it was when the first ever Olympic race started. It was a foot race. And in 490 B.C., a Greek soldier named Philippides, and we could see a statue picture of him, Philippides, he roughly ran 25 miles from Marathon to Athens, Greece, to deliver the news of a military victory over the Persians at the Battle of Marathon. Fast forward to 1896. It was the first ever International Olympic Games, and they paid tribute to Philippides and they, by holding the first ever marathon. 25 runners conquered the 24.85-mile route that spanned from Marathon Bridge to the Olympic Stadium in Athens, which would inspire the first-ever Boston Marathon. Just over a decade later, the marathon distance as we know it today was established in the London Olympics. At that time, there was no standard distance for the marathon. And according to the BBC, the British royal family requested that the race begin at Windsor Castle and then end in the Olympic Stadium by the Royal Box. And the total distance of that was 26.2 miles. And in 1921, they made that the official distance of the marathon. Now, I came across an article that talks about some of the things that Marathon runners come across that not everybody knows about. And I saw how these points correlate with our Christian walk. And I want to talk about these things because I want us to be ready for this marathon. I want us to be ready to run this lifelong marathon. So what are two hang-ups that could stop our race? And that's what I'm going to focus on today, two hang-ups that could stop our race. The first one in this article, it said that fear will replace excitement. Fear will replace excitement. Dorothy Bill, who wrote this article that is entitled Nine Things No One Tells You About Training for a Marathon, writes concerning marathons. It is something that less than 1% of the population has done. 1% of the population has done. And in and that of itself makes the commitment to training exhilarating. But once it fully clicks, 
that you frequently drive less than 26.2 miles a day, that that excitement will be replaced with fear. This emotion is normal, and hopefully it will wane. But warning, for some, fear might not wane until they cross the finish line. Now, there's a purpose that God has for us. There's a purpose that he has for each one of our lives. It's a purpose to live in him and to do what he's called us to do. And when we come into God, his, the knowledge of God saving our lives, it's an awesome experience. We come into the newness of life and we see that God has a whole plan for, and purpose for our lives. And God it does have a plan, but, but the enemy also has a plan. And that plan is to stop the plan of God in our lives from it being fulfilled. And so what happens is initial excitement in the Christian walk comes, but after that fear of the enemy starts to set in in us. And that, and what he uses is fear and intimidation. Those are the weapons that he tries to do, and he tries to get us to stop from using our gifts. And he will say to us that we have nothing good to offer, that we are are not good enough and never will be good enough, or that we will fail. And fear is a spirit that we as Christians will have to continually fight against. We will have to continually contend against the spirit of fear. And the enemy wants to find ways that he can get into the chinks in our armor. Well, I want to say to us, don't let the good desires that God has placed in your life be stopped by fear. When fear comes in many packages like anxiety, like panic attacks, like phobias, or our past, our failures, our mistakes, they all have the same goal, and that's to incapacitate us. Fear wants to stop us dead in our tracks. But we don't have to let fear stop us. Fear can be put into its proper place, and that is under the feet of Jesus. That's where fear belongs. Fear belongs under the feet of Jesus. Because Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15, it lays it out that Jesus, it says, Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, the Bible says, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authority, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. A young father was trying to put his little son into bed, and, and, and he was having a hard time of doing that. And the little boy said, I don't want to go to bed. I'm afraid of the dark. The little five-year-old said that. There's nothing to be afraid of, his father said reassuringly. I sleep in the dark, and I'm not afraid. Sure, the little boy replied, you've got mom looking out for you. Well, I want to tell us that Jesus, he's looking out for us. He's looking out for us because Knowing the devil, the devil and his demons are legalists. And they come to Jesus, and they come to Jesus with our past, and they say, this is what they've done. They need to pay for it. 
But then what happens is Jesus reminds them and lifts up his blood and says, I have paid for all of their sins. It has been covered. They are covered under my blood. And then he reminds them of the cross and he said, I beat you to a pulp and you are utterly defeated and you will never get up and you, they will not have to pay, but you will have to pay. So fear is under Jesus' feet and we stand with him. We see that Timothy, Paul's protege, had that same issue. Timothy was a young pastor and he began to become intimidated and it caused him to want to stop using his gifts. So Paul writes him and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 and 7, he says this, I'm writing to encourage you to fan, to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. And get this, for God will never give you a spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit, who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. Understand that there is a spirit of fear, and we will have to contend with it. Now, if we're watching a marathon of the exorcist, or we're watching online all the conspiracy theories, or we're into watching a serial killer series, and we get afraid, we're going to have to put that together, that we understand that there is a correlation. And we, we may be inviting a spirit of fear. I love that, that I've come to a place where I'm saying, I understand what I watch, what I take in. It affects my mind. So I am careful with what I put before me. And when fear wants to come, the enemy wants to come, I know that there is nothing that the enemy has a hold on me with. And it's the armor. It's like an armor that I lift up and I say, uh-uh, you don't have anything on me. So I have no reason to be afraid, so get out of here. That's something that we can do. But we, there are times in our lives that we're not watching those things, we're not dealing with those things, but fear is still going to try to come. And it will come in irrational fears and thoughts and doubts that say to us in the night or in the, in the night season will say to us, you will die before your time. Or things like you're going to fall or terribly sin. Or you will always be sick. Or it's over for you. It's over for you. Now, let me tell you, those are not your thoughts. That's the enemy trying to make you think that those are your thoughts. Because he's trying to come and get you to agree with his intimidation, with his fear, so that he can hold you in a place where he has a mastery over you and keep you under his foot. But let me tell you, like I said, how do we deal with those things? We rebuke them. We cast them out. We say, you leave me in the name of Jesus and you have no place here because fear is under our feet. So which spirit are we receiving? The spirit of fear or like the verse says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives good gifts. The Father has given us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us good gifts, power, love, and a sound mind. 
You know, in our family, we had um, during the Christmas time, um, one of my my daughters um, with my brother-in-law, they had this, I don't know how it appeared in our family, but there was this picture that nobody wanted, right? And I don't even know how it got into um, in a gift sometime, but anyway, it was like this gag gift. So my daughter would give it to my brother-in-law, right? She would wrap it up and it would be given to him. And then he would in turn at the next holiday give her the gift back. And then it would be like, since they knew that already, it would just be left at the person's house and it would appear there, right, for when they would see it after. And it was this gag gift that was going on. But let, let me let us know that the Holy Spirit gives us good gifts. He gives us power, love, and a sound mind. And I love that. It's a sound mind, a soundness of mind that he gives us. Because when fear comes, our mind wants to go crazy. We want to get hysterical. And we begin thinking irrational thoughts and everything's out of order but the Holy Spirit brings us a soundness of mind that everything comes back into order peace comes over our minds and we're able to think clearly we're able to think rationally and we're saying once again I'm not going to give in to fear but I know who I am I stand in the authority that Jesus has given me and I am able to think with a mind that knows what to think and is able to focus on the truth of God, truth of God's word that frees me. The truth of God's word that frees me. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, and you know this verse, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, lions are not like other big cats. They don't, they don't depend on the element of surprise, or they don't prowl around like the other big cats. When lions get ready to hunt, what do they do? They start to roar. They get all together and they start to roar. And why do they do that? Because they want to bring panic to the, the herd. They want to bring intimidation and fear. And then the herd begins to run all around. And then the lions look for those victims that are terrified. And then they start to pick off those ones who have been isolated from the rest of the herd. But we are not like that. We are like Simba in The Lion King, huh? When the hyenas were closing in on Simba and Nala, they come into that place where they're surrounded. And then Simba, he does two little pathetic roars. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) But he does the two little pathetic roars. But the third time, what happens? He begins to get ready for that roar, and Mufasa has come, and he's backing him up. And when Simba opens his mouth, it's his father that makes the roar, and all the hyenas, they run and they scatter because they are running out of fear. Jesus sends the enemy running. He sends the enemy running, and we stand with Jesus. So fear is under our feet. So don't give in to fear. And the second thing is, your feet may hurt bad. In running this race, and those who run marathons, your feet may hurt bad. 
The article says, you liked your expensive running shoes at first. Some days you even loved them. Until the day you ran 20 miles and felt like your feet had, had run through a meat tenderizer. Your feet hurt in the Christian walk? Nah, Christian feet don't hurt. Come on. Yes, Christian feet hurt, and sometimes they hurt bad. Marathon runners, it says that they reach a point where they wonder if they can keep going. They hit the wall. And sometimes they feel like like they can't go any further. They're in pain. Their strength is gone. They feel defeated. And sometimes they get injuries. And in this Christian walk, sometimes we will experience injuries. We'll, we'll experience offense. We will experience trouble. Times of, of discouragement. And in that discouragement, there will be the temptation to give up. The temptation to give up, to stop the race. Many of us, when we come into adulthood, when we come into a place of, of growing up, and then we look back in our past, we see things that, that we would have never wanted to experience. Childhoods that, that there are things in our, our past and our childhood that we would never wish upon anyone else. And, and we come to that place and we understand that we have been injured. That we have at times been victims. And we may feel cheated and angry about that. Even vengeful and wanting to hold a grudge. Well, let me say to us, it's okay to feel It's okay to feel. In fact, it is necessary to feel in order to go forward. But we don't have to react. And we don't have to live in a place that we are continually living that, living out of a place of victimhood. We are to feel the emotion and then go to God. We are to feel the emotion And then go with our emotions to God, to the one who can heal us, the one who can, who can come in the inside of us and heal the wounds of the past. In the book Boundaries by Drs. Townsend and Cloud, it talks about a law. It talks about the law of proactivity. The law of proactivity. And it's because victimhood can actually become an identity. It can become something that we live out as an identity. And those who have taken on an identity of a victim due to past offenses, they continue to pick up offenses. So as they're picking up offenses, it just adds to the old offenses. So the offenses of the past and the offenses of today get mixed into a big, one big wound. And in fact, the offenses of today, of the current offenses, keep the past offenses fresh and alive. It's like they're experiencing those things again and again and again. A perpetuation of victimhood. But the law of proactivity, when someone is proactive, they do not demand their rights, but they live them. 
They live them because they acknowledge that, yes, I have been hurt. I have been offended, but I'm not going to let my wounds define who I am. I'm not going to let them become who I am. And they choose to be proactive. They take steps to wholeness. They take steps that, that, they, that they know will bring a wholeness to what they have been experiencing, experienced. And then as a result, they, their lives become a benefit to the people around them. The law of proactivity. Because they understand this, that power is not something you demand or deserve, but it is something you express. I'm going to say that again. Power is not something you demand or deserve. It is something you express. You want to know what the ultimate expression of power is? The ultimate expression of power is love. It's love. It is the ability not to express power, but to restrain it. Real power is power under control. That's real power. It's a power to, yes, I could hurt you, but instead, I'm going to love you. That's real power. Jesus, who was all-powerful, he could have reacted to his enemies, but instead, he laid his life down. And why did he lay his life down? That doesn't make any sense. It's because it's an upside-down kingdom. Because he, he understood that the only way we could be saved is that if he would lay his life down in love, so that whosoever would, would come to him and be saved and be set free from the power of the enemy. Some years back, I experienced a falling out with someone. And it was something that I didn't intentionally, I didn't intentionally mean to hurt this person with. But yet they became offended with me. And so they, they came to a place of, and, and I, I felt bad at the beginning, so I went to them and I expressed, I expressed my sorrow about that and I said, I apologized to them. I said, would you please forgive me? And initially they said, yes, I forgive you, but after that, it wasn't the same. They still held that grudge against me. And so they began to avoid me. I, I would go this way, and they would see me, and they would go the other way. And so I would never know what to expect from this person. And it, it was something that, that just kind of went on and on. And at first, I was really sad about that. I was really like, God, this is... This hurts me. I, I cared about this relationship. And it, it was something that, you know, I was just going to the Lord. And, and then I felt like, wow, if this person doesn't like me, nobody likes me. I mean, you get those crazy thoughts of like, like, man, I just feel like, like this is just coloring my whole world. You know, I'm just feeling this way. And then, after the sorrow part went, the anger part came in. And I started to say, well, if they're going to treat me like that, I'm going to treat them like that. And I wanted to take revenge. And, and I went to the Lord. And I was like, Lord, I'm like, this is not fair. This is not fair because I didn't mean to hurt this person. I apologized to them. And so time went on. And then... I mean, I would love to tell you, like, yeah, I forgave them right away. I'd like to be that good example for you, but I was in a learning process myself. 
And then I got to the place of saying, Lord, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to release them. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to put them in your hands. I'm no longer going to hold that grudge against them. And I found a healing in that. I found a healing. I found a place of freedom. And so years after, I met this person in a store. And they were by themselves, and I, were, I was by myself. And, and they came to me, and they said, you know what? I've been working through some things. I've been going through some, some healing in my life. And I want to say that I'm sorry for doing that to you. And, and then they said, you know, I'm sorry for doing because I knew you would hold that against yourself. And I was able to tell them, thank you. I appreciate your apology. But I'm good. I'm good. And the reason why I could say that was because I had released them. I wasn't waiting for them to give me an apology because if I waited for them to give me an apology, I would have been holding my breath forever, right? Yeah, because sometimes the apology doesn't come. But even if the apology doesn't come, we can be free. We can still be free and we can still live whole and we can still fulfill the purpose that God has for us. Because God has called us to freedom. He has called us to be whole. I love the story of Louis Zamperini. And his life was made famous by the movie Unbroken. And some of you may be familiar with him as well. But in his life, Louis, after being a troubled youth, became a track star runner. He was an amazing runner. He actually made it to the, um, the Olympics that was held in Berlin. And then World War, World, World War II broke out, and he signed up for the war, and he became a bombardier, and he, he was on a bomber. And one day, many times they would be shot at. As him and his crew would go out, they would be shot at, and they, they um, evaded death many times. But one time, the engine of their, two of the engines of their plane, they gave out, and they crashed into the Pacific. And only three of the crew made it out. And they were adrift in the open sea for 47 days. It was an amazing feat. And him and another crewman made it alive. But get this. They make, make it out of the sea only to shore and then to be captured by the enemy. And so after they were out of the waters, they were in a POW camp. And he was there for many years. And he was treated badly. I mean, they were all treated badly, but he was treated the worst because they knew that he was a track star. And so many times he would be having to hold a bar that was very, very heavy and just hold it and hold it. Many times in his weak and and starving state, they would make him run a race with one of the other prisoners. And he would have to try to win. I mean, he would have to try to win. And when he did... It was like he was, he was good if he, it was bad either way. If he didn't win, he got beat. And if he did win, one time he got beat even more. And there was this one sergeant that really, really had it out for him. And his name was the bird. They called him that. Well, he gets released. He makes it through that. And he gets released and he comes back to the United States. And he comes back to the Southern Cal area and he marries and he has a child. But the things that he 
got freed from were still with him. He, he became alcoholic because he couldn't put the things that he went through behind him. And so the pain was still there. And so he began to drink and every day he would drink just to deal with what he had been, he had been through. And he would have night terrors about the time that he was in the POW camp. And so he was just dealing with that. Well, his wife became a Christian. And all of a sudden, Christian people started coming over his house. And he said he would try to avoid them, but he, they were there at his house. And one day, Billy Graham had a crusade in the Los Angeles area. And Billy Graham came, and, and his wife invited him to the crusade. And, and so he went. He didn't want to go, but he went. And after the third day, Louis Zamperini said what he would say is the best decision of his life. He gave his life to Jesus, and he became a Christian. He surrendered everything to Jesus. And he said that night when he went home, he emptied out his his bottles of alcohol. And he, he said... God miraculously healed him from that, and he never had a night terror after that night. God did amazing thing in his life. You would think that Louis Zamperini, out of all people, after he was released from the POW camp, would be the freest person on earth. He experienced an amazing freedom, but he was not free because the issue with offenses is that they're not on the outside, they're in the inside. We carry them with us wherever they go, and they, they make us captive. Forgiveness begins when we give up the quest to become even. This is difficult because getting even is the natural obsession of the wounded soul. Some time ago, there was a man who was an umpire, who worked as an umpire for a recreational baseball league. And he was pulled over for driving too fast in the Boulder, Colorado area in the snow. And so he tried to talk the officer out of giving him a ticket by telling him how worried he was about the insurance rates and how normally he was a safe driver and so on. But the officer said if he didn't like receiving the ticket, he could take up the matter in court. Well, at the first game of the new baseball season, the man, the ump, was umping behind the plate. And the first batter up was, could you believe, the policeman. As the officer was about to step into the batter's box, they recognized each other. Long pause. The officer asked, so how did that thing with the ticket go? To which the ump replied, you better swing at everything. I want to tell us, forgiveness is the healing. God forgave us so we could forgive others. Not only the big offenses, but the everyday things, the things with our spouse, 
the things with our coworker, the offenses, those offenses, the offense with the guy who cut you off on the road, right? Maybe coming to church this morning. Those offenses we want to release and let go because if not, they begin to build in us and then resentments began to build in us and they began to build and build. And then we become stuck. We become captive to those things. We release. We release them to the Lord. We're able to release. And I want to say to us today, forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Forgiveness is not the same thing as as trust. We can release people. That doesn't automatically mean that we are going to be in a relationship with trust with them. Because trust is built. But freedom... But forgiveness is freedom from the offenses that on the inside of us would keep us captive. And we are able to release them. Why? Because God says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. He is the only just judge. And we can trust our offenses to the Lord. He will take care of them. So how will I finish the race? We must let go. I must let go of every wound that has pierced me. Now, the Boston Marathon is the annual marathon. It's the most prestigious race that there is. And it is a grueling over 25 miles, 385 yards. And in order to be in this race, you have have to have been in a, in a sanctioned marathon race, having a sanctioned marathon race time in order to even get into the race. But if you were to watch the race, you would see the people that cross the finish line. And when they cross the finish line, some of them are on their last leg. They barely cross over, collapsing. And, and many of the people that are in the race don't even get a reward for all their hard work and training. But they run it simply because of the, the reward of running in this prestigious race. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 9. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I want to tell you that the Christian race is not just a race. It is the race. It is the race. Because all other races fail and fall in comparison. And I want to let us know today that we can live in certainty. We can be certain that we will finish this race. How can we be certain? Well, it's how we're ready now. If we're running the race now in the Lord, we can be certain that we will finish. Because nothing in this world will last. If you feel like this, you're running around in worthless things or in a race that doesn't really matter, I would challenge you today to change the race. 
to change the race that you're in because you want to run a race that really matters. You want to run and finish a race that will really last after all is all said and done. And how can we be certain that we can run this race? It's because Jesus, who was fully God, he was able to run this race. He was not only fully God, but he was fully man. And he lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if he finished the race, if he was able to go to the cross, if he was able to face persecution and crucifixion and rise up from the dead, if he was able to do it, then you're able to do it. You were able to finish the race. You were able to run the long distance and finish your life in winning the race because only this race has power to transform the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 it says of Jesus that he was the first fruit among many now farmers know if the first fruit comes if there is a first fruit harvest then that means there's going to be more fruit And if Jesus was the first fruit, then if he finished, we will also be able to finish. Because that shows us we are the fruit to come. There is a promise that he is able to keep. He who has began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We can finish. It's not cockiness. It's not reliance on self. Because we know, I know that I'm weak. I know that I'm weak. But in my weakness, I go to God. In my disappointments, I rely upon His strength. I know that He's able to keep me in my offenses and in my fear. He is the one who recharges us. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, But those who trust, wait in the Lord, they will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. I asked the Lord, why run before walking? Because to me, chronologically, the walking comes before the running. And I felt like the Lord was saying, because when we're young, physically young we run we run so the younger generations are so important that's why you're so valuable because you got good legs on you still right you're able to run this life in the Lord with passion with zeal and those of us who are a little bit mature a little bit older we've come to the top of the hill right we're looking down we're We used to run, but now we're getting a little bit older. So now we're going to the jog, you know, getting our jog on. And then eventually we begin to walk. But all generations are needed. The younger generations need the wisdom of the older generations. And the older generations need the the zeal and the passion of the younger generations. Every generation is needed in the kingdom of God. We need each other. We need everyone to take their place in the race. Everyone 
needs to take their place in the race. So if today you're struggling, struggle forward. If today you feel like you've been sidelined, get up. Get up. God is with you to get up and to keep going. I say to you in the name of Jesus, get up and run your race. Finish the race that God has prepared for you. So I ask you, will you finish the race? Will you finish the race? We're going to go into a time of altar like we normally do, but I felt this week, I felt this week that the Lord was just highlighting to me some people. And what I, what I mean by that, as I was listening to the Lord, I felt like he said, you know, there's some individuals that I want you to share a message with. And, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm just the messenger here today. And I'm going to share what I felt like the Lord was impressing upon me to share with you. And um, the first person I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and I just want to share what I feel like the Lord is, is sharing, has shared with me for you. I'm going to ask um, Elias if you would stand. And I just want to um, say to you that you may think that the place where you're at might be a setback. But actually, you're in the place that you should be right now. That you're in a good place. And um, the Lord has just said that this is the place that He wants you to be at this point in your life. And I also felt like the Lord was just saying that He's He just He chose you before you were born. So with that comes a great identity. That God has imparted to you a great identity. And if the enemy were ever to come to say to you that you are not, you don't have great value, that's a straight up lie from the enemy. You have so much identity, you have so much value over your life. And the Lord is just, he's just like, this point in our life, it's just like he set you here for this, for a great purpose. And I also felt um, that there is just an anointing on your life for a teacher. And I don't know what you're going to school for. I, I just, but I feel like there is just a gift in you to just be um, just an anointed teacher. I, I don't know if that's your main occupation or what, but there is just a gift of teaching on your life. And, um, but also you're going to teach others about the kingdom of God. You're going to teach others about the kingdom of God, and that's just on your life as a gift from God. And so I just want to bless you with that and say you're an amazing person. God bless you. And the other person I felt today um, is Crystal, if you would stand. I just heard the Lord say that you are free and free indeed. But that's what he's saying to you today. You are free and you're free indeed. That the Lord has called you to live a life of freedom. And he has brought you to this place of freedom in your life. And you will continue to experience more and more freedom. 
And then also he's given you an extraordinary gift of intellect. And I, and I think I've, I've prayed over that, prayed for you over that before of just intelligence. He's given you an ability to understand things, but also um, a gift of persuasion. And I feel like why this gift is given to you is because you're going to testify to students around you about who Jesus is. And you're going to give, um, it, give it in a way that they can understand, that the college student mind can understand. And you're going to be able to bring them to Christ. Like there's an evangelistic call on your life to just bring other people to the Lord. And so I just want to bless you with that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for what you have been doing. God, you're so mighty. We give you all the honor and glory. And I thank you, Lord, because you finished the race, we can finish the race as well. You were the first fruit, Lord. You were the forerunner, Lord, of everyone who would come after you to finish the race. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you called us, Lord, into your goodness, into your light, oh God, to run this race. Today, if you're in the race and you've been contending with fear, we have um, people that are ready to pray today, and they're going to ask you what you've been dealing with, and they're going to pray over you. They're going to anoint you with oil. But if fear has been something that has been coming against you, an attack that has been just over your life and you've been dealing with that, I'm going to invite you out today because we, we're going to deal with that spirit that has been after you. And we're going to break that in the mighty name of Jesus. And, and so, Lord, I thank you, oh God, that you're drawing your people today. Also, if you've been dealing with discouragement and you've been dealing with just like wanting to give up, just sense that you've been running and you're tired and you're weary. You need the second wind of the Holy Spirit today. And so I'm going to invite you up that, that the Lord would just give you a, a fresh breath, a fresh wind to continue on in the race. And then those who have been dealing with offense and struggling with that, the things of the past that just keep coming back up. They just keep coming back up. The Lord is here to, to give a healing. He's experienced wounds. He's experienced scars so that we are able to come to him and he's able to identify with us, to identify with our weakness. He's our high priest who understands us and he brings that place of healing from every wound and every offense that was ever done to us. So, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this place, mighty God. Oh, I thank you, Lord. I just just welcome you to come up to the altar today. Come to the altar today and receive the healing. Receive healing for your mind, for your body. Receive healing today. The Holy Spirit has been prompting you. I challenge you to act on the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to receive prayer this this morning. 
God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you that you are the mighty one. We can come to you in all things. God, thank you, Lord. 